One of the aspects of of the Shakespeare's Bones project that interested me from the outset was the nature of pastiche. Pastiche is, as it were, it's the poor, shabby, unsuccessful cousin of parody. If you take an existing text and and you think, I'll make fun of this, I can turn this inside out and show how it works and make it, make it silly in the process, and you write a parody and it works, um, then you have, um, let us say, The Walrus and the Carpenter or whatever, and you, you have a, a glorious piece of writing in its own right which happens to have taken the weak points of some other writer and, and expose them for what they are. Um, pastiche is different from parody. Pastiche is more like the receiving of something which is already available, reworking it without really contributing terribly much of its own, of your own, and and then producing something um, which is perfectly okay and 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 readable, but just seems terribly flat because everybody else has already done it. Um, and I can remember when I was, if I can just pop this in, when I was seventeen years old, and. As a teenager, I was hooked on crime fiction, and I wrote my third crime novel. Um, and and my father said, "Oh, that's not bad. You could try that somewhere." So I sent it off to Collins Crime Club, and after a polite month, they sent it back. And I remember that in their letter of polite rejection, they said it was too much of a pastiche, and they were using it in that received sense that I was simply doing what had been done so often, and there wasn't enough there that was giving it an original spark. Now, that conventional received understanding of pastiche has been rethought in recent years. And I think probably the, um, the jumping off point for the rethinking has been Frederick Jameson in literary terms. Um, but before he got into it in literature, it was probably principally visible in architecture. If you think back to that period in the 1980s when clever architects would design a perfectly conventional apartment block, but on the top of it they would put something that looked like a Greek temple. So in architecture there began to be a debate about the status of pastiche, whether these postmodern buildings um, were, as it were, aesthetically viable in their own rights. And that debate spilled over into literature because, of course, the same thing has been happening in literature. And it's been happening, actually, for longer than, than one can really think. Um, but let us just say that roughly for the last half century, the whole of the what's manifestly the, the postmodern era, people have been playing around, picking and mixing their styles, enjoying themselves, recycling. The principle of recycling is very important. The principle of borrowing somebody else's existing voice is very important. The principle of borrowing a structure is very important. All of these things are being done the whole time in literature now. I find that extremely interesting. It's something which I haven't much done in my own writing to date. Um, but its I'll come to that in just a moment, though. For me, a spin-off of, it, of, of this is to think about how I could um, do writing of my own that wasn't involved with my own voice in, in my own poetry. That's one side of it. But the other thing that interested me about the Shakespeare's Bones Project is this business that I talked about earlier about the idea that there is something manifestly Shakespeare's 
in the underpinning rhythm and sound and pitch and so on of, of Shakespeare's um, entire play. That idea is, as it were, the, the sentimental end of the authenticity debate. Um, when, when the actor says, of course, you can hear it's Shakespeare, uh, when, when the actor says something like that, what he's predicating that statement on is the idea of authenticity, that it can only bear the imprint of this one author, and that that is unmistakable. Um, now, of course, we know that that's not really true. I mean, a, a successful mimic can imitate any other voice, and the same happens in literature all the time as well. If we take something that is Shakespeare's and we reuse it, but we reuse it to our own ends, what is it that survives? And in what sense is that act an act of pastiche, either in the old, somewhat pejorative sense, or in the new, revalued sense? That was the question that was built into the project from the beginning. I wanted to see if it was possible to, to write this new play without it being, in some sense, pastiche, either in the sense of having cobbled together Shakespeare. Um, now, that... I think the students entirely avoided, um, except maybe in terms of the pressure of his plot. Um, but once it got down to the nuts and bolts of how to construct scenes, how to put words into the characters' mouths, I think the new writers um, were very successful in avoiding the old-style pastiche. What about the new-style pastiche, though? That, that is a rather different kind of question. Um, there is a sense, I suppose, in which the kind of experiment that we've just done probably wouldn't even have been thought worth doing in an era before our own. It would have been thought just too silly or pointless. Um, I'm not sure which side of that argument I come down on. It may, in fact, have been pointless. It's perfectly possible that it was, and I'm, I'm not going to insist till my dying day that this was um, the most important thing ever done with Shakespeare. But I think that what is interesting about it um, is it puts us in the position of the, the receivers, those who are living at second hand. Um, Nipple's phrase about, which got him into a lot of hot water, about the Caribbean having what he called a client culture uh, comes to mind, because his argument, which was very controversial, was that Caribbean culture only existed because other cultures which have been fed into it, either from Africa or from the Europeans who emigrated there or from India, um, they came first and it existed, as it were, at second hand. Now, in our relation to Shakespeare, and particularly in this project, we exist in the same relationship. It is a client relationship. We, we don't invent. We are always doing things at second hand. And... There is something, on the one hand, very restrictive about that. Of course there is. Um, it's not only the question of the metrical straitjacket, which we've talked about, but it's, it's also the sense that the plot has imposed itself and, and, in fact, that you're doing the whole thing in the shadow of somebody else. I think it's also oddly liberating, and I think that's, that's the discovery um, that, that postmodernism generally has made, uh, that in taking somebody else and just messing with them and realizing that they are the safety net because you have nothing to lose. It's not your authentic self that is on the line. 
it's actually not even Shakespeare's anymore. There isn't an authentic self that can be criticised. This is a kind of higher game. And one of the great discoveries, I don't know if discovery is the right word, but let's call it a discovery, of postmodernism has been that the game is its own end. It doesn't need to point to a higher purpose. It can be its own purpose. In that sense, I think, um, pastiche, if, if that's what it was, has become its own end. Um, I think that what we've got in The Right Woman, the play that's been written by the, stu uh, the student writers now, um, it's clearly not Shakespeare. It nevertheless depends on Shakespeare for its own existence. It is a client product in that sense. Um, and I think that that relationship and the, 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 the way in which it grows up in the shadow uh, almost defines the contemporary understanding of pastiche. I'll, I'll just say something else about pastiche which um, I think relates to the way that we're all in the position of receiving Shakespeare now in a spirit of pastiche. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, is that it's, it's virtually impossible to go to a theatre and see a production of Shakespeare that doesn't remind you of a dozen other productions of Shakespeare you've seen. And you'll be comparing this Hamlet with that Hamlet and the other Hamlet, and, and it will remind you of this production in Bogner and God knows what. Now, the cult of the director and the very concept that there is such a thing as director's theatre, which, of course, we all live with comfortably without necessarily questioning from the root up, um, presupposes that the author and the text have passed into different ownership and that there are other processes at work which have become, if not more important, then at least as important to us as the original text and so on. If I think of the production of Julius Caesar that I saw in Stratford, what was it, two, three years ago, um, there were elements in there. For example, um, people around Sinner the Poet carrying posters saying, make love, not war, or whatever. Uh, there was somebody on stage with a ghetto blaster, uh, and so on. In other words, these deliberate anachronisms and bits of popular and agitprop theatre and, and so on, um, which have been done in theatre now for ooh, 30, 40 years. In other words, that those details are now not simply a new way, an unusual way of doing Shakespeare. They are quotations and often quotations of quotations of quotations of somebody already having done something in director's theatre. The director says, I have the power to do what I like with Shakespeare, and then along comes somebody else and clones it. Um, and it seems to me that, that this in itself is a way of dethroning the authenticity of the author, which is absolutely radical. We've, we've, um, it's not that it's illegitimate. The theatre can do what it wants with the text, just as the writer can do what he wants with his own text. Um, but still, it introduces the dimension of pastiche because it is, I would say, it's, it's, it's essentially become impossible to have a new thought in the theatre when dealing with Shakespeare. Uh,